Welcome to episode 6 of the Audio Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast put together by those of us at SciTech to help you keep connected with our glorious night sky. My name is Leah, a presenter here at the SciTech Planetarium, and tonight we will be going on a bit of a voyage. This recording, it is time to take place at 7.30pm for any night of the upcoming week, starting from the 9th of May. And indeed, if the weather permits, this recording will still be relevant for the next few weeks. So feel free to listen to this whenever it suits you best. We are quickly approaching the start of winter now, and that means not only will it be getting colder, it's very likely that our skies will be frequently covered by clouds. While that can be a little frustrating, the upside is, is that winter is usually the better time of the year to observe the night sky. This is due to our atmosphere. Throughout the winter months there is less humidity about, so there is less distortion caused by our atmosphere, making for some beautiful crisp nights so you get a greater chance of seeing fainter stars and objects in the sky. And as an added bonus, winter is when the heart of our galaxy starts to rise in the sky, meaning if you get the opportunity, you get the chance to see a night sky bursting with countless stars. It is a wonderful sight to see and well worth the cooler nights. In saying that, Please make sure that you are keeping nice and warm when stargazing. I want you to be comfortable while you're watching the sky. Over the last five weeks, we have been adding to our map of the sky, getting more and more familiar with some of the prominent constellations to see in the sky. For this episode, we are going to focus our attention towards the southwest and pick out some constellations occupying a huge section of the sky. And as we'll see, these constellations actually join together like pieces of a puzzle to form one giant object in the sky, a ship full of hope and heroes. So let's begin our grand ocean adventure of the southern sky. Before we turn to the southwest, Let's do a quick sweep of the night sky and refamiliarize ourselves with some key observing points in the sky. First, turn to the west. And if you need a reminder or if it's your first time, you will find the west in the direction that the sun sets in the evening. In the western sky, we will find the constellation of Orion, the great warrior. It is always easiest to spot thanks to those three stars that make up his belt. Five weeks ago, Orion was still high enough in the sky to make out the entire constellation. But as we look at Orion tonight, you can see it's traveled a great deal in that time. We can still see his belt, along with the surrounding four stars that represent his body. But what is left of the constellation will only remain for another two or so weeks before it disappears from our skies. The next time we'll be able to see Orion at this time of night will be at the start of summer where those notable stars will start to rise in the east. Now just a little further north or to the right of Orion we can spot the constellation of Gemini, the twin brothers. 
We were only introduced to this constellation last week, so a quick reminder on how to find them. Start with the bright red star of Betelgeuse, one of the shoulder stars of Orion. Remember to keep your arm outstretched, place your right thumb over Betelgeuse, and stretch the rest of your fingers on your right hand out nice and wide, making one handspan. Just past your pinky finger, you should see the two bright stars, one above the other. These two stars, Castor and Pollux, represent the heads of the two twin brothers and the brightest stars of Gemini. Leon detailed this constellation last week, but this marks the furthest point north in our map of the night sky. Let us make our way back across the western sky, slowly heading towards the south to spot some other prominent constellations in our map. First we come across Canis Minor, the little dog. It is easiest to spot thanks to its brightest star, Procyon. To locate it, find the halfway point between Betelgeuse and Gemini and it sits roughly a handspan above this point. Once we've found the little dog, I'm sure you can guess which constellation is next. Canis Major, the big dog. It is always easy enough to find Canis Major thanks to its brightest star and of course the brightest star in the night sky, Sirius. If you draw a straight line from Canis Minor towards the left, you will find it quickly enough. Or alternatively, you can start from Orion's belt and draw a straight line upwards to find it. While Sirius and the rest of Canis Major have been getting lower in the sky, it is still high enough for us to spot easily. Make the most of spotting it while you can though, as we will only be able to see it for roughly another month and a half before it disappears from view. We have one more stop in our map of the night sky, this time facing directly south. Looking high in the sky, we can spot the two very bright stars of Alpha and Beta Centauri, otherwise known as the Pointer Stars. And I hope you recognize what they are pointing to, the Southern Cross. You might notice that over the last month, their position in the sky has changed too. Unlike Orion and Sirius though, the Southern Cross and the Pointers have been getting higher and higher in the sky. In fact, they are slowly tracing out their circle around the South Celestial Pole, reaching much higher. They will reach their highest point in the sky in roughly mid-June, before they slowly circle back around and down to the horizon. That completes our map of the night sky. But you might have noticed a great big gap between the Southern Cross and Sirius filled with many stars. Prime real estate, where there is sure to be something interesting to find. And indeed, there is. Starting from Sirius, about a handspan to the left, you should see a very bright star. That bright star is Canopus, and it is actually the second brightest star in the night sky. It is impressive how bright Canopus is, and sometimes if you don't have your orientation about you, it's pretty easy to get it confused with Sirius. Both being exceptionally bright, these two stars appear to be very similar to each other. However, 
there are key differences between these two stars that our human eyes are unable to notice. We already know a fair bit about Sirius. It's very bright, roughly twice as big as the Sun, and lies eight light years away from us here on Earth. What if I told you though that Canopus isn't eight light years away, but actually 310 light years away, almost 40 times further away? What does that tell you about that star? And by extension, the apparently brighter star of Sirius. Already you can start to deduce that if these two stars both appear to be equally bright in the sky, yet they're at such different distances from us, then one star must actually shine much, much brighter than the other. And this is definitely the case. In fact, if we compare it to the sun, Canopus shines 10,000 times brighter than our sun. In comparison, Sirius only shines 25 times brighter than the sun. That makes Canopus 420 times more luminous than Sirius. Can you imagine if Canopus was at the center of our solar system? How bright that star would shine during the day? I'm not sure SPF 50 plus sunscreen would be enough for that. No other star within 310 light years is more luminous than Canopus. But Sirius is just that little bit closer, or should I say a lot closer, so it outshines Canopus in our night sky. And this leads us to an interesting point. When we stargaze, we assess how bright a star appears in our night sky, otherwise known as its apparent magnitude. But it's important to recognize that a star's apparent magnitude does not reflect how bright it truly is, which we can see in the case of Sirius and Canopus. A closer star can appear much brighter than stars further away. To know how bright a star really is, astronomers refer to its absolute magnitude. The absolute magnitude tells us how bright stars would be if they were all at the same distance away focusing on their fundamental brightness rather than their apparent brightness. The standard distance that astronomers use to determine a star's absolute magnitude is 32.6 light years away. That might seem like an oddly specific number, but it's actually based on a precise distance called a parsec. The distance of 32.6 light years is equal to 10 parsecs. So a star's absolute magnitude refers to how bright it looks from a distance of 32.6 light years away. This is a standardized measurement for all stars, planets, galaxies, and beyond. I should mention, however, that the magnitude scale is back to front. The brighter the object appears to be, the lower the number it has on the magnitude scale. And alternatively, the fainter the object is, the higher the number it has. So for example, our sun, the brightest object in our sky. It has an apparent magnitude of minus 26.7. On the other end of the scale, the faintest objects that we can see with the naked eye have apparent magnitudes of around plus six. This gives you a bit of a guide on what to look out for when stargazing, 
and if you might need a telescope to help you spot the object you are observing. If we get back to our two bright stars in the sky, Sirius and Canopus, we can compare both their apparent magnitude, how bright they appear here on Earth, and their absolute magnitude, how bright they really are. First, Sirius. Take a good look at it. That star has an apparent magnitude of minus 1.5. Canopus, on the other hand, has an apparent magnitude of minus 0.7. And remember, a bigger number means that the star appears less bright. So you can see Canopus is still appearing a little fainter than Sirius, but only marginally. Now for the fun part, their absolute magnitudes. How bright they would look if they were both 32.6 light years away. Well, Sirius has an absolute magnitude of 1.4, and that is a plus 1.4. And Canopus? It has an absolute magnitude of minus 5.7, much, much lower, or should we say much, much brighter. So it goes to show that if Sirius wasn't so close to our solar system, Canopus would be taking out the title of brightest star in our sky. Canopus isn't only brighter, but also much larger than Sirius. It is approximately 71 times the size of our sun, making it 42 times bigger than Sirius. This actually tells us that Canopus being so big is at a different life stage than Sirius. We learned a few weeks ago that Sirius is a main sequence star, so it's burning hydrogen away in its core and it will keep on doing so for quite some time. Canopus, however, is in the next stage of its life, the giant phase, where it has started to swell and burn different fuel within its core. This is why it shines so bright. The name of Canopus originates from Greek myth after the great oceanic navigator for the king of Sparta, Menelaus. He assisted the king to reach the far-off destination of Troy to help retrieve his stolen wife, Helen. This is of course leading to the infamous Trojan War. The reason it is named after a navigator is due to the fact that Canopus is the brightest star in a now ancient constellation known as Argo Navis, otherwise translated to the ship of the Argonauts. I hope you like your Greek mythology. The ship of the Argonauts refers to the hero Jason. Jason had a bit of a troubled upbringing, having to be hidden as a child from his power-hungry uncle who stole the throne. Once of the right age, Jason returned to his uncle, eager to take back the crown that was rightfully his. Jason asked for the throne and his uncle was like, uh, yeah, but only if you complete the quest of finding the golden fleece and bringing it back to me. Now, the golden fleece was a trophy of great honor and prestige and Jason was eager to complete such a task. So he gathered up a crew of the who's who of Greek heroes to sail the seas in search of the golden fleece. Some of those heroes include the mighty Heracles and the two twins of Gemini, Castor and Pollux, themselves immortalized in the sky as stars. As is always the case with any myth, there were some side adventures and distractions. Eventually though, 
Thanks to persistence, hope, and perhaps a little bit of extra help, Jason was successful in obtaining the Golden Fleece. The story of Jason and the Argonauts is definitely worth being immortalized in the sky as well. Looking up at this section of the sky, you can see it occupies quite a large area, stretching from the Southern Cross over to Canis Major and Sirius. So over time, the great ship of Argo was broken into three different parts in order to make it easier for classifications. The ancient ship is now made up of three modern constellations, Carina, Vela, and Puppis. The easiest constellation to find is Carina, which makes up the hull or the base of the ship. We can find it easy enough thanks to the bright guarding star of Canopus and the Southern Cross. If you remember back to episode 2, when we were locating the Southern Cross in the sky, I said that sometimes it can be difficult to find because there are three very distinct crosses in the Southern Sky. First, of course, is the Southern Cross. The second, which we are about to find, is the Diamond Cross and part of Carina. To find it, I want you to start with the bright red star that makes up the top of the Southern Cross. Now draw an imaginary line from this star towards Canopus. Now do it again, but this time slowly. As you get to about a handspan away from the top of the cross, just below your line you should make out four distinct stars that look like a diamond or a cross on its side. This is the diamond cross and all four stars are part of the constellation Carina. The rest of the stars in Carina arch from the Diamond Cross back towards Canopus, drawing out a bendy line in the sky. And using your imagination, it all joins together to make the base of the ship. Now above Canopus and just to the right, you will be able to locate the second constellation, Puppus. Puppus represents the back of the ship. The highest star in the constellation is Therese, a whitish yellowish star that can vary in brightness every three hours or so. Now to find it, draw an imaginary line between Canopus and Sirius. Now find the halfway point between these two bright stars and from that point go directly upwards for roughly about a handspan and there you should see Therese shining bright, the highest point of Puppus. The brightest star of Puppus, however, is Naos, which appropriately translates to ship. You can find Naos, a bluish-white star, almost directly above Canopus, roughly one handspan up. With the back of the ship mapped out, it gives you a good idea how large Argo Navis was, and so it should be really, considering the many heroes it carried across the vast oceans. All that's left to find now are the sails of the ship, which belongs to the final constellation of Vela. To spot Vela, we need to find the last of the cross formations in the southern sky, 
the one known as the False Cross. You may already be able to spot it high in the sky, but if not, the best way to find it is to draw a line from Beta Centauri, the blue star of the pointer stars, across to the bottommost star of the Southern Cross. Now keep that line going just over a handspan and you should easily spot the last cross, the false cross. The two stars on the top right hand side of the false cross are part of Vela, making up the bottom of the Argo sails. Now if you follow the direction of the short arm of the false cross through to the right, just about three finger widths away, you can spot the brightest star in Vela called Rigor. Now above Rigor, you should also see a bright red star known as Suhail. It lies about three to four finger widths above making a bit of a triangle shape with Rigor and the right arm star of the False Cross. The sails of Vela stretch across to the left of Suhail, with the width of Vela being a whole handspan in size. Although it can be difficult to make out all the stars in this constellation, see if you can trace out a sail shape in the sky. Now that we have found all three constellations, you can definitely identify the great ship of the Argonauts. Well, maybe. After all, the pictures that we make of the stars are always open to interpretation. At the very least, you will now be able to navigate your way in the southern sky with a little more confidence. And speaking of navigating, we can now fill in a full half of the sky from the Southern Cross in the south, sailing through the constellation of Argo towards the west, meeting the dogs Canis Major and Canis Minor, Orion, and further north, the twins of Gemini. The southern and western skies are no longer a strange assortment of stars, but a sky full of shining beacons of light that can help guide our way. That is, of course, until a few months' time, and the Earth will have continued along its orbit around the Sun, providing us with more stars to navigate amongst and many new sights to see. With that, it brings us to the end of another episode. Tonight we focused on the large part of the southern sky between the Southern Cross and Canis Major, adding to our extending map of the sky, and also learning a few more stargazing tricks while we were at it. As a final note, remember that it is only through knowledge that we can understand more and more of what is out there in the universe. Far from being an enclosed roof above our heads, the sky is merely the shore of the vast oceans of the cosmos that lie beyond. So just like the hero Jason, don't be afraid to undertake a quest for yourself to learn more about what is out there exploring the wide depths of space and discovering what treasures are hidden there in the darkness. Good night everyone, and remember, you can find the universe just outside.